Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Loose Units Origins. Every week, I'm sitting down with Dad and getting him to tell the stories behind the stories behind the stories. I haven't checked that chain of command, but I assume it's chronologically correct anyway hello everyone and hello dad i have had no coffee this morning mm-hmm. i always prepare for these podcasts how do okay. i prepare i read mm-hmm. the chapter yep super important i looked at this particular chapter mm-hmm. i read probably five words yeah and i and i just shut the book snapped it uh- shut and why? Why is because, that? Because so far, this story, well, it's one of the most incredible stories and it's so uh, sort of impressed on my brain that when we start to talk about it this morning, I'll be reliving it in micro detail. Okay. I just didn't need to read it. My point being, I've had no coffee, but it's such an intense story that it's going to be it's going to be full on and raw. Okay. Well, I mean, that's a good adjective for this story, unfortunately. Raw. This is going to be pretty intense. If you haven't actually read the chapter yet, that's okay. But we do encourage listeners to kind of go and read a chapter from their copy of Loose Units. If not, all good. You are going to capture the kind of dad's version behind my version of his version. It's a little confusing, but that's okay. Uh, and just to clarify, yes, we don't normally broadcast this early. And um, I'm feeling a little fuzzy too. And this is a very gory story. So... You know, we hope you don't put your wife in breakfast or anything. So, Dad, I'm going to start by reading from the beginning of the chapter, okay? Hmm. So, this is chapter 34 in Loose Units, and it's called Better Not Wrist It, which is yet another pun, because I thought it would be funny to give the chapters dad jokes as names. Anyway, here we go. Christine... Oh, and by the way, I think last week, Dad, you had said that the... I've, I've kind of futzed with the chronology of the way things happen so that they work as one big story. Now... At this point, chronologically, I think you'd already had me. Is that correct? I'd already been born? Or not yet? Hmm. Excellent question. Um, I Look, it may come to me during the story. Okay, because we know that mum was pregnant uh, at this point. I just didn't know whether we'd kind of... I know that I changed a lot of things around Hmm. in the timeline to make them work. But because this story does kind of have links to... Uh, the hospital where I was born. So mm. I thought it'd be kind of creative, creative license wise. I thought it'd be more interesting to have you and mum in the story weighing up where to have me and this being the decider for reasons that will become horribly apparent. So here we go. Christine was set on the idea of having the baby. That's me. 
at the Royal North Shore Hospital. She'd made some calls and some friends who'd had their kids there had sold her on it. John, on the other hand, became oddly fixated on, in that uniquely male way, the idea that he knew what was best. He was born at Martyr Hospital in Crow's Nest, so that's where he wanted his kid to be born. Martyr Hospital, Christine, he insisted over the phone. It's absurd that this was the topic where he put his foot down for the first time in this relationship, but that's how it goes sometimes. He was feeling stubborn and he held his ground. They say pick your battles, perhaps the adage should be amended to pick your battles and don't be a dickhead. We'll talk about this another time, she said, but it was clear the roller doors had come down. End of conversation. He'd fucked up. I love you, he'd ventured. Mm-hmm, came her reply, and she hung up. It was their first fight. John was station constable for his shift, and his boss for the day was Joe Harding. John liked Harding. He was greying in his late 50s and never left the confines of the station to go on patrol or much of anything else. If it was possible to haunt a building but to do so in a good way and to be respected by all and sundry, that was Joe, a helpful geist. He was unflappable, cool as a cucumber, provided that cucumber was stored at the recommended temperature. Charlie Manson could have been slavering away in front of him for an hour straight and Joe wouldn't have broken a sweat. And Joe Harding liked John. He liked John just fine. So there's a few things we need to set up here, Dad. First of all, um, Joe Harding. Let's work backwards. Now, is Joe Harding this person's actual name? Did mm. I somehow... Uh, yeah, okay. it's his real name. Yeah, And is that yep. because I think I think we were okay with keeping people's names as they were, provided mm. A, uh, the people were minor characters in the book, and mm. B, the people didn't do anything dreadful that needed a name change. Is that correct? Mm. Correct. And he... Um, <clears throat> I think it'd be hard-pressed to find any police officer at North Sydney, Mossman, or for that matter, any police officer that had ever worked with Joe Harding mm-hmm. to have a a mean word to say about him. He was yeah. genuinely a father figure, a mentor. I never saw him lose his cool. He had the patience of whatever that, however that saying goes, the patience of some person. Um, and he was... A master at his craft, which was basically running the whole show, never got flustered. I mean, it was just what a what a treat. As opposed to working with some station sergeants mm. that were were clearly unhinged, and the captain is just insane or has a nervous breakdown. I mean, it's it sort of works its way down. Uh, we're talking about Joe Harding working at the station and mm. it being kind of, you know, the, working at the switchboard and you were saying you quite enjoyed it. And then you were talking about um, the highway patrol people storing their cars underneath the harbour. So, wait, hi- highway, you're saying highway patrol had sort of a bat cave underneath the harbour bridge? They did. Look, in, back in the 1960s, yeah. the highway patrol were called, get ready for this, mm-hmm. the Bureau Get out. How cool. And they used to drive Cooper S mini miners. Okay, this is somewhat at odds with the depiction of Highway Patrol that you've given us, which is calling them cockroaches and saying that they were basically... <laughs> I mean, this is not a very... You've, you've not given me a single generous description of this group of police, and now you're calling them the Bureau and saying mm. how cool they are. What's Well, they you- were. They were super cool. I mean, any hot-blooded person, male or female, that wants to drive hard and fast in a souped-up, basically a racing car, mm. on the streets, okay, would 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 kind of find it pretty exciting to join the Highway Patrol. As I said, I mean, do you know what a mini-minor Cooper S is, Paul? Oh, it's like the Italian job, right? Yeah. Okay, brilliant. 
Tiny, tiny. They're tiny. If you see a Mini Miner on the street these days, you expect a whole lot of um, circus people to come out. Clowns. You're talking about clowns, right? I actually really need to interrogate this because you have spent years painting this picture of Highway Patrol. Mm. And now you're insisting that actually any red-blooded person would want to join them because they were super cool and they were called the Bureau. I mean, how do you reconcile these two extremely different depictions? Well, easily. And that is that... Look... You're wi- no, if your, reason, if your method for doing that is that I'm wildly inconsistent, deal with it. That's not Paul, really... <laughs> no, no, Paul. It's funny right. how whenever you portray me, you take on this wacky voice. Like, it reminds me of yes. someone working on a ranch in Brazil that's just wearing a massive Stetson. What? Well, Why Brazil? Well, they, they, they've got ranches there. Yeah, but th- that's an Australian accent. You're saying there's oh, a random mate. grim Australian man working at a Brazilian ranch and that's or, the voice I'm doing. I don't know whether your portrayal of me is necessarily Australian. Right. I, I mean, <laughs> it's so funny. I just laugh at it. Sorry, I think it's 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 a good impersonation, but it's not of me. <laughs> it is. It's no. It captures your essence, but it, Dad, you you still you're dodging. You're you're evading the question. Sometimes you you say two things that are diametrically opposed, and you insist they are both true. And I mm. think it's worth interrogating that. So, okay, you have called them cockroaches, Paul. You, I think we should go easy on that term. I I don't think that term's used anymore. No, I, I'm not saying it's used now. I'm saying you call them that. It's in the book. I've got you on audio saying it. But now you're also saying they're cool. Have you been contacted by someone <laughs> in Highway Patrol going, mate, can you fucking ease off? And you're like... I, I haven't, but I did have yep. lunch with Sue. Uh-huh. We all know Sue. Yes. A real person. Mm-hmm. Christine and I hooked up with Sue and her partner. Mm-hmm. A few weeks ago. Yes. And he is the loveliest person. And he's Highway Patrol, isn't he? He was in the Highway Patrol. And I sure. just started to... Oh, I felt so depressed knowing that he would be reading the book. And he's such... He's super... He's so nice, it's almost kind of... Yeah, he's... Paul, Paul listen. I never called them cockroaches. I'm on the record as saying everyone <laughs> in Highway Patrol is incredibly handsome and articulate. <laughs> and top shelf, world class people. The the problem with the Highway Patrol, yeah. and let let's let's just. <laughs> I'm not an apologist for the Highway you Patrol. Fucking ah, you are backpedaling so fast. But Paul, Paul, here's a here's a here's a valid point. Uh-huh. I mean, it might be exciting to drive around in super horny BMWs and God knows what else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'd like to, mm. just I mean for fun, but. Paul, I mean, okay, what about when you and Anne were, were really young? Do you remember that Highway Patrol guy that came around and we strapped the two of you in the back of the Highway Patrol car? Well, I don't, but you've told this... I mean, look, you've told this story before. None of this none of this undoes the portrayal that you've given of them. I mean, what, I th- okay, here's, here's me being generous. I think what you were trying to say is that Highway Patrol, because it's based on quotas and because it's based on pulling people over attracted a certain kind of petty person at times, right? Mm. Who would basically like just give you a ticket for the for the hell of it. And you also pointed out that Highway Patrol 
would rock up to crime scenes because they were bored. And you you know when you're saying that you'd get a big, interesting crime on the radio mm. and cops from all over would rock up, mm. including, as you pointed out, Highway Patrol, who had zero jurisdiction there but just kind of wanted to kind of have a sticky beak, right? Mm. Now, that's... I mean, unless you were making that up, that is that is on the record. No, but no, what no. you're saying... So oh. this thing, yeah, this this depiction of them as being super cool and the bureau and whatnot. What's funny is it has nothing to do with this chapter, but I I wanted to pause on it because it's occasionally you do sort of portray two fairly different versions of a thing, and I don't think that either of them are untrue. I think it's about the emphasis you are putting on them mm. at well, any I, given time. Well, I feel that um, if you believe in evolution. Yeah. Then if no matter what type of a person you are when you first join the police force or any police force on earth. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, it attracts a lot of different it attracts a cross section of the community. And that is yes. the that is the that is the purpose. That's what we as the public want. We want a diverse group of people that are a mirror or a reflection of our society. We don't want, you know, sort of seven-foot Aryan stormtroopers, do we? Although they could be handy in in a riot, like the riot squad. Uh, how, what are you? Where are you? Where are you going with this? Okay. Well, where I'm going is that over time, if you are pulling over twenty cars a day and every single person says, I mean, everyone's got the shits. Have I mean to get pulled over is a nightmare on so many levels. So imagine doing that for a few weeks and then a few months, and then I, I just can't imagine how you can even be civil. I know you have to be, but and God knows I've met some pretty rude police in my day, and I've been pulled over by, you know, pretty rude. I've had some pretty rude highway patrol police officers. So, and the whole thing about the radar, and, and we we see them. We you drive past them, and you think, God, you know those. But look, my point being that. Um, God, what is my point? <laughs> yeah, see, this is the thing. We are now almost 20 minutes into an episode about this chapter. and yeah, but, um, it, but it is kind of about the Highway Patrol in a small way, isn't it? Not really, no. Um, look, I just, I think this is useful for listeners and readers of Loose Units to realise that you, um, <laughs> you, sometimes your opinions, thoughts and stories are, are quite malleable. It's not just me that kind of well, shifts good. and moves things. But that's you know? good. I think the older I get, the less... The, <laughs> the less you remember. <laughs> no, Paul. I'm saying the less rigid I become, which is great. Right. Yeah, okay. That's, so, that's a plus. Yeah, I, I mean, look, look. here's the thing. When you called them cockroaches, I think you meant it. And I think it's true in relation to specific officers, right? But, I mean, you said that, peop- you said that people in the force, the other people in the force called them that. Hmm. Now you're saying they were they were called the bureau and they well, were well they like were the that's in- a fact that's yeah. you were going to say the men in black weren't you well I mean the way you described them they have a secret hideout under the harbour bridge well I mean, it was the- pretty cool are they the fucking Thunderbirds look they they were an entity unto themselves let's put it you that meet way. what you meet one ex Highway Patrol and you're like they were like SWAT mate they were oh, fucking elite Jesus Paul look <laughs> anyway <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on this. <laughs> I'm just having fun. I, honestly, mm. this is... No, but this Paul, is, Paul, yeah. look, that day that I was working and the police, one police officer uh-huh. brought in a guy. Yeah, 19 years old, right? And that officer was 
in the Highway Patrol. Okay. Oh, we have a link. A tenuous yes. one, but yes, we have a no, link. No, but he yep. was he was North Sydney Highway Patrol. And should we start the story insofar as how he came to be arrested? Yeah, I would love to. Let me just describe the guy based on your descriptions, which based on what we've just learned could be completely the opposite. At about 11 that morning, right, so was it 11 or was it 9 o'clock? No, Paul. I'm just joking. Yeah. At about 11, I'm joking. At about 11 that morning, the doors were tossed open. Highway Patrol at, dragged in a man well over two meters tall, pupils fully dilated, ranting insanely. His sandy blonde locks were matted and drool shone on his chin and soaked his shirt. He locked eyes with John. John wondered if Manson would, in fact, give this guy a run for his money. So it's like 11 a.m. and you're at a pretty kind of sleepy shift. Joe Harding's in charge. Highway Patrol brings in this enormous man under the influence. Well, I say man, 19's not really. I mean, that's really on the brink. Um, And could you talk us through what happened next, please? Well, before we talk about what happened next, I think the listeners would like to know why he'd been arrested. Oh, yes, please. Okay. Now, this guy, as it turns out, was heavily uh, under the influence of drugs. Um, My feeling then and today and the general consensus was that it was LSD. Okay, but you, I mean, this was an an assumption. An educated assumption. Educated assumption based on, you know, having had numerous encounters with people that were under the influence of that particular, you know, psychotropic drug, which can really mess with you. Trust me, I've... Oh, my drug stories, my personal drug stories are scary, but that's for another time. But what you're so, saying is the is the so him being on that drug is one thing, but you're saying the reason he was hauled in in such a state is because he did something yes, whilst yes. on the drug. Okay, he was riding a trail bike, like a dirt bike, registered, street legal. You know, you see these off-road bikes that you know people use, and they've got big knobbly tires. They're not really that great for the for the bitumen, particularly in the wet. And he had this desire uh, under the influence of, let's assume, LSD Mm -hmm. to ram a police car. That was his sole intention, was to ram a police car. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ah, any word on whether that uh, intention arrived in his head before or after so you're saying your assumption is he went i want to ram a police car i'm gonna mm. need to take something first mm. or are you saying he took something and then went i'm gonna ram um, a police car no my, my my very 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 strong uh opinion paul and mm-hmm. and and you've you've set it up beautifully is definitely the latter insofar as he was under the influence and then something uh, something happened in his mind he may have he may have perceived the police car as some demonic you know, sort of centipede or something weird. He may have, he may well have been in a in a sort of a state of hallucination. Okay. Uh, and how how he was still able to ride is is beyond me. Although riding bikes and and driving cars, people we all know can do incredibly sort of mundane things uh, because they're so sort of embedded in our sort of our sort of primal base. It's like muscle memory, yeah. correct? Yeah, like like going to the toilet or, you know, having a glass of water at two in the morning. Um, you know, finding, putting a key in into a lock. It, 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 these things are kind of, you know, I mean, we all don't sort of middle aged people generally don't shit their beds. I mean, uh, I hear you know, uh, you, you, yeah, sort of. I, I'm I'm sort of going a bit sort of bit deep here, but. The fact is that he rammed this highway patrol car and he rammed it in such a way that it was it was a ferocious... He completely totaled the motorbike and the police the, officer who was working was, one out... Wait, so the, there was an officer in the car at the time? Oh, no, yeah, he, he, he was pulled up. Was it... Like I was going to say, is it stationary or moving? So, where? hang on, did he just blindside the guy? Did he explode yeah. out of... like? No, he just came from the right completely right. and just completely T-barred, but on purpose. No, like, hang really? on, a, trail bikes have, I, like, I'm no expert and I don't drive, but a trail bike is a fairly, if you hit something at high speed, I assume he flew off the bike. Yeah, right? he, he did fly off the bike, but he was so relaxed. That's one of the key things about when you're flying through the air yeah. and you're going to land, if you're chilled don't and, up. Okay. and just, yeah, don't, don't, don't go hard because uh, you'll break bones. But if you can, like, it's like with skydiving. Um, if you go limp, you're fine. Correct. <laughs> I mean, there are people, as we know, that have fallen, not fallen, they've, their parachutes have failed. Yeah. And um, if you can kind of prepare for the impact and, and don't go all sort of rigid, mm. uh, just sort of, I mean, I don't know how you'd do it. I mean, you know, there's a pill for that. Um, look, let's get back on topic. Mm. Uh, there, okay, so this he, guy... He, and he was relatively un- unscathed. And the highway patrol officer actually couldn't get out of his door. Right. He'd completely crumpled the door and he got out the passenger side... The guy was on the floor, picked him up, and basically, um, look, it happened pretty well outside the police station, just down at Victoria Cross. It happened about maybe less than 100 metres away from the entrance to North Sydney Police Station. Jesus. And um, and that was so surreal as well, because he sort of basically frogged, frog-marched this particular offender up up the street and in through the front of the police station. And Okay, and so here we And, and here we here have we him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was my job to um you know to process this guy yeah now here's something interesting about policing 
We all know that if someone commits a crime and they're clearly, you, let's use that, that, that word insane, for example, or incredibly under the influence of a drug, they're just, they've, had a, they've had a breakdown. No matter what the situation is, Paul, it's not up to the police to determine their mental state. What happens in law is that people are charged with the offence, no matter what the circumstances are. And then later on, the the charge or the outcome are amended. And so someone else comes in and makes that assessment later is what you're saying. That's right. Medical people come in. Um, There are so many um, factors that will determine the outcome of a case. But the police have an initial duty to protect life and property. So in this case, this person has done something um, and, 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 and the guy, it became very apparent that he was hell-bent on destroying a police car, which was almost laughable in that he's got the bike and the car is considerably bigger. But imagine if he had have decided under that state of mind to, for example, ram a pedestrian. It could easily have resulted in a fatality. Okay. But, so you've, are, but, yeah, but he's now safely in custody, mm. relatively speaking. He's um, safe. He's safe. He's, he's in good care. We, we are, are duty-bound to look yeah. after this particular person. And I felt genuinely sorry for him because he would have moments of lucidity where he was completely coherent and very distressed about what he'd done. So it was really upsetting. And that's the human part of policing that most people... Um, I mean, let's face it, police are people in a uniform. They don't all of a sudden become devoid of... Look, if a police officer is a total fuckwit, then they're a fuckwit out of uniform as well. And boy, oh boy, I got to experience that because you'd socialise with police. So you got to sort of... They don't switch. Some police do have a bit of a button where they, um, you know, they can sort of adopt this sort of weird alter ego, uh, which is kind of... That, that's creepy as well. But my point was that I felt genuinely sorry for the guy I was concerned. And Joe, Joe's a lovely, compassionate guy. And he said, mm-hmm. look, um, you know, we need to, to look after this guy. And um, he, he, he was sort of coming out of out of the drug state and um, he was processed and we had to put him in a cell out the back and we had a, yeah. a choice of three or four cells and there was no one in any of the cells. So I put him in the cell that it wasn't the one with the bars, which was sort of more a, like a, a cell for a lot of people. This was a smaller cell and once you closed the iron door, which, I mean, these cells went back to the 1870s these were these were draconian. Um, they had one purpose. They didn't have heating. They had one stainless steel toilet bowl. But this had this particular cell was unique in that it had a flap, and you'd undo the flap, and it would drop down like a sort of semicircular steel plate, which would enable you to look inside the cell, because you know you were duty bound to to look after these people. And yeah. because we were coming after we'd processed him and and and. You know, he'd been charged and everything was sort of starting to take shape. We still needed... He, he wasn't um, 
he wasn't bad enough for he didn't require medical assistance put it that way that's the call that was made at that time and Joe said to me look John you've got to go down to the Greasy Spoon the world's worst cafe that sells absolute vile garbage and that's where we used to get uh, the prisoners meals and a prisoner's meal consisted of a sort of a takeaway plastic container with those pressed down hard lids. Um, it may have been sort of a Chinesey type, a sort of a, oh, look, it was just appalling. I, I never ate there. Um, sometimes some of the staff would order extra prisoner's meals at North Sydney just so that they could have a free meal. Uh, but that was not, not, my, not my style. And so the guy was in the cell. I He'd been in there for about an hour. I undid the flap and I passed through to him his meal. And I he seemed fine. And he was quite lucid. And I shut the flap. And it was my job to check on him every maybe maybe 40 minutes or so. Plus, okay. I, plus I wanted to go back and get, um, you know, make sure he'd, he'd eaten and also, you know, get, get the container and and do that sort of stuff. And um, I went back to the cell and I undid the flap and I could see him sitting in the corner and what he'd done, he'd... Um, got the lid, which is fairly rigid, even more rigid back in the 80s, like quite thick plastic, and he'd kind of snapped it and he'd created a kind of a, a sharp, like a blade with the plastic uh, lid and he began to uh, cut through his his wrists. So I realised uh, pretty quickly that, um, you know... Uh, he was attempting to take his own life. So I ran out and got Joe and Joe sort of stood by the door and I went in and I was talking to him and and we kind of, um, we made a call. I mean, it's not me, it's Joe. And Joe makes the call that, look, we'll, we'll bandage him up. So we bandaged him up and we made the call because it was very, very kind of superficial at that stage. He was and still under the. You think he was still under the influence of the. Well, he was. He was coming in and out, and yeah. but he was. He was quite lucid at times, and you know, I, I sort of consoled him, and we we had a bit of a chat. He was just sitting there, but he seemed okay. Um, I mean, looking back on the story, Paul. You know, many years have gone by, and things have changed, and I guess we can we can dissect this story, and no doubt people will um, at the end in terms of what perhaps should or should not have been done. But, um, you know, Joe made the call to um, uh, bandage his wrists, which could have just been one wrist at that stage. Anyway, you know, I did all that and uh, took the container away and made sure, looked around the cell, Yeah. made sure there was nothing else. Um, as a matter of course, we had taken his shoelaces off, which we always did. No prisoners were ever allowed to go into a cell with shoelaces. Okay. Um, and another thing that we would do is that we would be very judicious with the issuing of toilet paper because you can, 
create a noose if you've got enough toilet paper um, by just you know plaiting it and, and strengthening it. That's a fairly basic you know principle. And um, anyway, you know I went back out into the station because I've got a lot of things. I mean, if you can imagine just two police running the station and it's a really busy station, um, you know it's, it's intense. And then you know after a while. I thought to myself, look, I, I, I better go out and check on this guy. And what happened was, this is the thing that's sort of the, the culmination to a degree of, of the horror of what people are capable of doing. And I I feel, in hindsight, and I guess on the day, would have felt quite terrible. Um, that's why I didn't need to read the chapter this morning, because I, I remembered everything in sort of visceral detail. But... Um, the next thing that happened was I've gone out the back and um, it was very quiet. He's the only person in the uh, in any of the cells, and they're cold and it's kind of dark and it's creepy. And I undid the like there was a padlock that unlocks the flap, and that flap is like half a circle, so. No one inside can actually stick their head through the circle because it's just half a circle. Okay. So it's there for a sort of, but it's 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 an, it's to enable uh, the police to view the occupant or occupants of the cell. And when I opened up the flap, um, and I looked over to where he had been, there was no one there, and I actually couldn't see him. And then, like something out of a horror film. He sprung up. He'd been sort of leaning up against the door so you couldn't see him. And when he appeared in a microsecond right in front of me, we were face to face. And what I saw was something out of a fucking Hannibal Lecter film. What he'd done is that he had removed the bandages... And he had eaten through his wrists. He was eating himself. And he was chewing away and gnawing at his tendons and veins. And he had he had skin, chunks of oh. his skin all over his face. And he had his face was covered in blood. And he looked... He just looked fucking terrible. And he his eyes were black and... And he, I could see this. The, I have never, ever. I had. We had a young girl once who was on LSD. She was fifteen, mm. and in front of us, she bit one of her nipples off. I'm and sorry. What? We had a young you've, girl. Yeah, you've no. You've never. To, you've never told me this. No. Well, that's just an example of what can happen with in this particular case. This was an. It was just a really fucked up night. It was stormy, and when I say stormy, it was. It was there was no one on the streets of Sydney. It was cold and it was just a hellstorm. And about three in the morning, one of the cars at North Sydney came across this girl. She was fifteen. She was she, look. She was she was really, really, really badly affected by LSD. And I mean, in in front of a whole lot of police, she just um, completely. She just stripped off in the dock. And she just reached down and bit her nipple off. Yeah. So I'm just giving you an example of what can happen with certain drugs. 
Um, so I'd already seen that some months before, so I was already traumatized by that. And then um, to see this guy, um, you know, eating eating himself to to, I mean, you know, that's I I had never heard of that happening before, and I've never heard of it since. But that's what I was confronted with, and I I I just you know I ran to Joe, and we you know called the ambulance and um you know the the ambulance came and and he was in a bad way and he was he was dying and um yeah that was a pretty heavy shift paul uh now i can't recall whether we actually whether you'd been born or not but i remember look i'd say you'd probably been born because i remember where we were living we were living in an apartment in manly vale next to coles in actually Corrala Street, Manly Vale. Oh, we, I remember that apartment. Okay, yeah, okay. So the thing is, Paul, that uh, I'd, I'd, I'd done the day shift and, um, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a bad shift. It was tough, really tough for me. I mean, how old was I? I was mm, 22 mm. And, uh, and Christine was in the job as well and I've come home and I'm, and I'm telling her this, this terrible story and we were watching uh, TV uh, that night, and very late at night, because I, I just obviously couldn't sleep. You know, I was found, finding it quite difficult to go to sleep that uh, that particular night because of what had happened. And um, on Channel Ten, they used to have this show, like a, they, it was called Live Eye, and um, they had with Harry, Harry Potter with Harry Potter. And Harry Potter, there was like a there was a news like this, just you know, flashing and and there's this live eye thing where the you know the they've sent Channel 10's sort of live crew to um, I'm not sure what hospital you say it is in the book, Paul, but it was the Martyr Hospital where I was born. Yeah, that's in, yeah, that's it. Oh, good. And they they have this footage, live footage, and. They're filming um, very, very high up at the Martyr, which is the hospital I was born in in, mm-hmm. in, in Crow's Nest, just up from North Sydney Police Station. And there's, a, there's an incredible sort of flurry of activity and they zoom in on this particular person in hospital gowns and this person has crawled out of his window and is hanging on to a drain pipe about to fall and as they zoom in on this particular person what do i see it's the guy how do i know it's the guy bandages right two bandages one on each wrist and i just that fucked me so um that's crazy mm. and uh that's the story paul and that's basically that was my day as a young station constable at North Sydney, and you've uh, you've written about it. I'm not gonna lie, that's pretty stressful. It's mm. pretty stressful stuff. Uh, mm. Well, Dad, this has been a huge, huge episode. I just I don't want you to think. First of all, I hope everyone's doing okay with that stuff. That is um, that is extremely triggering stuff. So you know, feel free to just I don't know. I don't know, Dad. I'm having trouble processing processing that story. I, I understand why you didn't want to reread it now. Mm. Um, yeah, I yeah. get that. Um, I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode. As you can tell, I'm a little bit kind of rattled 
so I can only imagine how the listeners are doing. But uh, anything else you want to say? Um, I've really enjoyed chatting with you, and I, I'm grateful to all our wonderful listeners. Please don't think I was making fun of you before. No, no, I don't. Just... I'm kidding. I'm, I'm okay. I love it. I love it. Now, are we allowed to mention that big event coming up or not yet? Not yet. Cool. We will, though. Keep your eyes peeled. We got some very big stuff planned uh, that rhymes with schmive schmoes. Yeah? Hmm. Paul, I've, um, I've loved chatting with you this morning, as I do every, every episode. Oh, you're and, the best. Um, um, I look forward to, uh, to Friday's episode. Can't wait. Love it. Friday's going to be great. We've got loose ends on Friday. Uh, we have like 15 weeks left of content for this uh, for this season of loose units, which sounds like a big run up, but it's going to fly by. So, you know, make sure you enjoy every episode. And please, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends, post about it on social media, um, head across to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. We haven't asked anyone to do that in ages, but if you can, that'd be great. We miss you all terribly. Can't wait to get back on stage and we'll see you soon for the next Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.